Ties, a podcast of the Maine Community Foundation. I'm Taylor Mace. Maine is the oldest state in the country where 21% of residents are over the age of 65. It is also the most rural state, which can make access to health care and other services more difficult for older people. I spoke with Jess Maurer, Executive Director of the Maine Council on Aging, about the logistical challenges older Mainers face and the importance of including diverse older people in the conversations state leaders are having on how to address them. I'm Jess Maurer. I'm the executive director of the Maine Council on Aging, and uh, we are celebrating our 10th year, uh, and we're a broad multidisciplinary network of about 130 organizations, municipalities, businesses, uh, and older people who are working together to make sure we can all live healthy, engaged, secure lives in our homes and communities as we age. We're a policy and advocacy shop, um, and so we uh, take in a lot of information uh, and usually with a broad group of people and partners um, create a plan uh, in relation to um, addressing some of the challenges we're experiencing uh, and uh, and then we work to implement it. So it means we sit at a lot of tables and have a lot of conversations. Two of the biggest challenges facing older Mainers are the state's old housing stock and a lack of public transportation in rural areas. As we all are living longer than we ever have before, um, this new longevity comes with some um, uh, need to rethink um, the systems that have always worked for us, right? So uh, two-story homes uh, in rural communities, driving a single passenger car, (laughs) those things, going to the hospital uh, to get care or, you know, driving an hour to a primary care provider, you know, like that always worked for us because we were able to do all of those things, right? We were we were able to live in a house with a bathroom only on the second floor. But now as we get older, um, we're finding some of us that we have challenges um, with those systems when we can no longer drive or when we our house no longer works for us or when our income is stable and costs rise um, and uh, we can't afford our property tax anymore. All of these things, right, um, can uh, cause some significant challenges. We've been having lots of conversations over many years around housing um, and the need to develop different kinds of congregate housing. Um, so not just you know, uh, apartment buildings, but also uh, small homes, tiny homes, um, uh, needs to, uh, you know, sort of ensure that everybody who could make an accessory dwelling unit work for them um, has that option. Um, Make sure that people in my own community that have access to home repair services, um, when the next town over doesn't have access to home repair services, that that we make that sort of a uniform kind of thing, right? So um, lots and lots of older people can't afford um, their basic needs in Maine. And, and it's like almost a third of older Mainers can't afford their basic needs and don't qualify for any means-tested benefits. And so um, they can't afford home repair and they just don't repair their homes. Um, and so, you know, we're really trying to figure out what's the way forward to um, help 
you know, weatherize and repair and modify homes so that people can stay safely in them longer while we're trying to develop these other kinds of um, homes for them to move to. Um, we're also then looking at the bigger picture, right, beyond that, which is to say, how do we begin to think differently? So we're working with municipalities and, and planners um, and to say, you know, when we're doing comprehensive planning, we actually have to start thinking about and asking, by the way, asking people in our communities who are 80 and 90, what's, you know, what's it like for you to live here? And what will you need to continue to live here? Because we value you living here. We need to start saying those words, right? So we're working with municipalities um, to look at who's in their community, what the challenges um, they're having and how and helping them through technical assistance and um, uh, and and bringing good models to them that work in other places, you know, really helping them rethink um, planning, zoning, um, investment and resources and those sorts of things. We sit at every kind of table in relation to transportation, um, but have just actually um, uh, gotten a grant from the Maine Health Access Foundation to do a two-year uh, project to really increase access to transportation uh, for by older adults. Um, and we'll be doing that in a multitude of ways, one of which is to um, really hold up and, um, and engage with uh, the volunteer transportation programs around Maine, um, which are like the last mile option, and begin to really better knit them uh, with our public transit system. Um, and then finally, for places that don't have volunteer programs, looking at how can we use like the rural transportation programs we have and go Maine and the volunteer approach um, to use what we have to begin to build um, more volunteer transportation programs um, around Maine or just or just people who are willing to move other people around. Um, because I mean, like we have to be reasonable about solutions, right? Like we're not going to all just give up our single passenger, I mean our single our single um, vehicles um, anytime soon. We're like really wedded to them, um, and you know as much as we want to expand public transportation, we're not going to be able to provide public transportation, you know, to everybody in Maine down every every dirt road. It's just these these things are incompatible for right now. And so like how do we help people who are going to continue to drive take other people with them um, and be good neighbors? Jess shared a story about someone in her own town of Harpswell who was forced to leave the community because of housing challenges. There is remarkably little choice uh, for older people who can't remain in their homes right now. Um, you know, there are long wait lists and the options are few and far between. There's sort of three big reasons, well, four, four big reasons why somebody can't stay at home. Um, you know, and housing and transportation are those, you know, are two. Um, one, economics, we talked a little bit about that as well. And then finally, this last piece is you can't get access to care, um, like home care. And um, the lack of home care, um, unfortunately, is driving people into nursing homes um, way bef before they need to go into nursing homes. And so there isn't real choice. Um, so therein, therein lies one big um, challenge. We created Harpswell Aging at Home uh, seven years ago, my gosh. Um, and this amazing guy uh, shows up at, you know, one of our early early on meetings um, and he's tall and lanky. His name's Bob. I always say it's a story about Bob. Um, and he tells me so he tells me this is one like desire in life is to create a volunteer home repair program to help older people live more safely at home. He started this home repair program. Let me be clear. Um, roundabout when he was 78 um and uh and grew it from six guys to 28 guys 
Um, they've repaired over 150 homes, repaired, modified over 150 homes in five years in our community. Um, all volunteer efforts. They're amazing. They do it for like 2000 bucks you know, each home, they've saved lives, we've demonstrated it, they've reduced hospitalizations, they've reduced falls, about half of them, you know, worked as um, folks, you know, in the building world careers, and one still does, and and about half of them are just, you know, do-it-yourselfers, they, they're wannabes, and so they're learning, right, they're 60, 70, and Bob now is 82, learning, you know, learning about all kinds of carpentry skills, and and helping, and and it's just, become a fabric of our community. Um, so Bob has a neurological challenge and he it creates, um, it, he gets dizzy and he falls. So we were like, all right, well, let's bring um, Tai Chi for better balance to our town office and um, have him participate in that class. And he did, he and his wife took it twice and it actually gave him all kinds of skills. I, I took him up um, to talk at the, when the governor released the um, housing bond, he spoke at their, at her press conference and, and he was leaning against the wall and I was like, you okay? And he goes, yeah, this, I just learned to do this so that I, I won't fall. <laughs> you know, so like he learned this stuff, right? From the evidence, but I like, I love that I can talk about this stuff. So this guy's a retired uh, nuclear engineer. Um, you know, his house got to be too much for him and, uh, and his wife. And they had a big, you know, piece of lawn he had to mow and it was two stories and the bedroom was upstairs. Anyway, they they spent a long time looking for a house in Harpswell and couldn't find one that was universally designed that was one floor. Um, and they left, <laughs> you know, and I'm like, that is not who you want leaving your community. That's my point right there. Why is it important for people to stay? Because they're important to our community. And, uh, you know, we 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 are not we don't intentionally value um, the older people we have and the contributions they have made and the contributions they will continue to make to our communities. It's also good for them, by the way. That's the other piece from a health standpoint. It's better for people to be connected to their social structures, to their you know faith communities, to their social support networks. Um, it's just better for people if, if they have to move. They're often isolated. People who are 80 and 90 here in Harpswell aren't. People are always like, well, we don't need to build assisted living here because, well, they just have to go to Brunswick. Well, if you're 90 and you talk to people who are 90, they say, I still drive. I probably shouldn't. I only drive once a week. I only drive when it's only drive during the day. I never drive when it's raining or snowing. You know, like they're very self-limiting. And so, no, they're not going to go have lunch, you know, with their friend who's moved to Brunswick um, on a regular basis. Maybe they'll see them twice. I mean, it, this is the reality of what happens is that people who have to leave um, their community and and their community of support um, become very isolated and do less well. The Maine Council on Aging is working to put a spotlight on ageism and discuss ways to combat it. We have launched, with the help of the Maine Community Foundation, um, uh, a year-long program that uh, we're um, uh, in the middle of called the Power and Aging Project, which is addressing head-on the issue of ageism. And it was modeled after the um, Learning uh, Leadership Exchange on Equity uh, that the Maine Community Foundation um, uh, created. We talk about age segregation. I mean, we're, you know, it's not something that we intellectualize um, uh, as, uh, but we push older people um, uh, further and further in, out of, out of our communities um, when they get too old to stay in their house or when they, you know, they can't meet their basic needs, which means we're really living in segregated communities and we don't even know it, um, where a lot of older people just can no longer continue to reside. And we think that's unjust. Um, and 
Um, and, and, and worse, it's bad for us, right? I mean, these are our leaders, people who have lived in our community for a whole life. There are church leaders, there are um, municipal leaders, there are grandparents. Um, they uh, are still um, volunteering uh, for community-based organizations. Um, they are a, a part of the fabric um, of our communities and they're leaving and we don't even know that. We don't even know that. That's what you know, we're doing um, this municipal data dashboard um, project with municipalities. And in one town, we saw remarkably, you know, they have far fewer people who are 80 and older in their community than the communities around them and then their county and the state. And so you have to ask, why is it inhospitable for people over 80 to stay in that community? And what are you losing? Ageism is, um, is first of all, obviously an unfair treatment um, of a person um, because on the basis, solely on the basis of their age. Um, and it is um, ageism, you know, is it's in our it's in our systems, it's in our resources, it's in our media, our cultures, it's um, inside inside of me. It, you know, I am ageist. You are ageist. Period. Like we all have to just accept that. Um, you know, we have stereotypical views, cultural norms that are 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 created by all those things, right? Um, cultural norms about people, the, the age of people, and it can be young people and it can be older people, right? And like we, you've heard a number of times, like younger people aren't aren't mature enough to make decisions, right? Well, we have the same sort of stereotypes, lots and lots and lots of them, most of them negative about older people. The basis of our Power and Aging project is that, uh, you know, ageism is bad for us. Um, and we know that for many reasons, bad for our economy, bad for our communities, bad for us. And if you help somebody understand their own age bias, they are much less likely to act on it. Research tells us that. Um, and they're actually more likely to um, support the kinds of systemic changes we need um, to support older people staying in our communities. It's about helping people see that there are systems problems that we need to solve that don't have anything to do with the individual. I as an individual cannot solve public transit problems or housing problems or the direct care workforce shortage. I can't do that as an individual. Like these are big systems problems. They're gonna take years by the way to solve. It's not my job as an individual to solve them. And yet we still think we're, we're to blame when we can't get the things that we need. And so that's one piece is like literally accepting that we're aging, we're all aging, and talking about this as a we problem, not a you problem, not a they problem. Older Mainers of diverse races and ethnicities and those in the LGBTQ community can face additional challenges. When we talk about uh, ageism and stereotypes, um, if I talk, if I ask um, most people in Maine, not all people, but most white people in Maine, um, to describe an older person, they won't even tell you anything about race. Um, they're assuming that they're white. Um, you know, that they're, we haven't um, done a good job of, first of all, even just being inclusive in our language. We've engaged in a series of conversations with the tribes, um, with people of color, um, with the immigrant community, with um, the LGBT community and have had a series of conversations, some of them really targeted with like with the tribes. We just really kind of brought providers together um, from Aroostook in Washington County to start with to start building stronger relationships with them. Um, and, you know, with the LGBT community, we've had webinars where we've just brought older um, LG, LGBT 
people together and then older trans people together to talk about what's it like to be an aging trans person in Maine and how can we understand what the bigger issues are like tri- tribal sovereignty, for instance, um, uh, and, you know, trans rights, you know, like these issues that we might not have been involved in, like understanding how it impacts older people within those communities. Um, that's really the work we're doing so that we can show up um, and make sure that we are lending, you know, our voice um, to support older people um, in discrete communities within our state. Earlier this year, with the Maine Women's Lobby issued a report on the economic status of older women in Maine, um, which really catalogs, um, you know, the 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 history of wage disparity, um, you know, gender gender-based wage disparity um, over a lifetime. There are twice as many older women living alone in Maine than there are men, older men living alone. Um, and those women, of course, have significantly less resources than older men who are living alone. Half of the older women who are living alone, and we're talking about tens of thousands of people, women, tens of thousands of women, don't have enough money to meet their basic needs. Over the next six months, we want to create a vision for um, equity and aging in Maine. Um, and so really looking at, you know, this bigger framework, and that's what the summit's going to sort of launch is like this bigger framework of um, ageism impacts all older people, right? And then you've got the intersectionality. And so that some older women are, you know, not just um, experiencing ageism, but are also experiencing gender bias. Workforce and housing, you know, that's magnified. And the end result, so uh, the same for people of color who are older and the same for, you know, non-English speakers and the same for LGBT. And so we've already identified many places where the system is unfair um, like the way resources are uh, designed, like through our long-term supports and services system, there is inherent ageism um, in that system. And, um, you know, we're so over the, I think over the, the fall, we're going to be really looking at, like, how do we address these disparities um, through legislation? There isn't a one-size-fits-all a lot of times when you're talking about equity, right? It's a very specific, like, looking at a group of people. But I can tell you, you know, like, this is like the bare minimum, <laughs> Like, if you did this, it would raise all boats. Um, you know, there's some things that we could do. Um, so we're really looking at that, but we're also looking at really specific things like residence rights of residents in nursing homes. Um, they're not sufficient to to address the issue of bullying um, and significant bullying and sometimes harassment and sometimes outright right, violence against, you know, people who are different um, than traditional white, you know, cis- cisgendered heterosexual men, <laughs> you know. Um, so yeah, we're, we're doing a lot in that area and pretty excited about that work. <laughs>